0: Good morning and welcome here. It is, it is so awesome to uh, preach to people and not to a camera. Um, so thank you for coming in and joining us um, this morning. Um, yeah, my brothers and sisters, we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Yeah. So this morning we're going to be looking at a chapter In the book of Hebrews, if you have a Bible um, or a Bible app, you can open it up to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 this morning, um, camping out in 26 and 25, a little bit later in the message. But before we get to that point, let's just take a minute to pray. Almighty God. We praise and thank you so much for your love and your grace for us. And we see that most perfectly and beautifully when we look at Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So Lord, as we study your word this morning, I pray your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to see your truth and that we'd put you first, God, above ourselves. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. All right, I'm gonna read through this passage and then we're gonna talk about it. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, I'm reading out of the ESV version. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now he starts this passage by saying, therefore, which means because of what I just said, we can now do this. So we need to look very briefly, I will sum it up very quickly, of what he's talking about in the first half of chapter 10 before we look at what he's Talking about in the passage we're studying this morning. And what he has just basically summed up is the greatness, the magnitude, the importance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has just talked to us about how this is a sacrifice that has covered sin for all time in our lives as believers. This is how great the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for us. And so, because of this sacrifice, With this in our minds, the sacrifice that Jesus made, he took your place. He took my place on the cross. So thinking about that, we move into this next um, chunk, this passage. And there's three directives that the writer gives us this morning that I want to look at specifically. Um, And the first one uh, we find in verse 22. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart, In full assurance of faith. Now, how can we draw near to the most holy, awesome, all powerful, all knowing, all seeing God? How can we draw near to Him as sinful humans? Well, it's because of what he just talked about. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's blood, and he says that in the beginning. Verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now he's referencing the most holy of holy places in the temple. In the Old Testament, they built the temple, the place where God actually came and was residing in. There was this outer court for everybody to come and worship, and there was inner court, and then there was this most holy of holy place. There was a cube inside where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the presence of God was there. Now, the priest would go in there to make atonement for the the nation, for the sin, and if the priest had any sin in his life, if there was anything off in his life, he would die in the presence of God. So they would tie a rope to his ankle so that if he died when he was in there, they could pull him out because they couldn't go in and get him. This is the most holy place that we are talking about here. And it says that now we can enter. We can go into that most holy of holy places. And what does he say? He says, we can confidently enter. Or we can boldly enter in to the presence of the most holy, most awesome, most powerful God. Because of Jesus' blood. Because of his death on the cross. He paved that way so that we could Draw near as we are encouraged to do. We can have confidence. We can walk confidently into the presence of God. What does that tell me? That tells me that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was no weak sauce, it was of ultimate magnitude, which is what he has just described in the first part of this chapter. I encourage you to read that later this week. So he says in verse 22 that we are to draw near. Draw close to God. How close? So close. So close. When you think about it, who is it that you would draw near to? Who is it that you would draw close to? Well, in my life, it would be, you know, someone I loved. Someone I trusted. Someone who had proven themselves over and over again. And is that not our God? So we draw near in faith. And our faith is in Jesus' sacrifice. That's what gives us the confidence. That's what gives us the boldness to be able to walk into the presence of God. To draw near to the creator. Because we have faith In Jesus' sacrifice for us, that it was enough, that it paved the way. So we draw near because of his sacrifice and because God wants us to. You ever think about that? That God wants you to draw near to him. He wants this relationship with you. That's why he sent his son to make the payment so that we could. So let us draw near. And then he moves in to the second directive in verse 23. So in verse 22, it says, let us draw near in faith. And then verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We need to hold on tight to the confession of our hope. And what is that? Well, it's what we say with our, um, with our mouths. It's what we confess to be true about Jesus. Really, it's, it's the gospel. We hold tight to the gospel. So we draw near, and as we're drawing near, we're holding tight to the gospel because it's the only way we can draw near. And I love what he says in the second half of the verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. Our God is faithful. He is perfectly faithful. I don't even know if I can comprehend what that even would look like. Now, how, what, what grows our ability to understand his faithfulness? Well, I would say we look at the Old Testament. We look at The heroes of old, think of David, Jeremiah, Noah, Moses, Ruth, Rahab, Esther, Mary. Think about the promises God made to them. And he kept every single one. We can look to the heroes of old to see the character of God and that he is faithful and he will always be faithful. And not only do I need to look to the Old Testament, but all I need to do is look at my own life to see how faithful he's been to me over and over and over again. And times that I don't even thank him for it and he's been faithful. When we remember, it strengthens our faith. I think this is probably one of the biggest reasons I have for you to like keep a journal or a record of something, of the things that God has done. Because we are, we're human. We forget. Even, even this week, as I was going through, I was just like, okay, what has God been really faithful with in my life? And I started making this list, and I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about that. And it was like, page and a half long after a couple minutes of just being like, wow. And I forgot this. We need to be continually reminding ourselves of how faithful God is because we forget. I mean, there's a reason that he says, you know, we should um, do communion often to remember. He knows. He knows we forget. I love it what it says in the Psalms. He's like, I know that I made you out of dust. I know. I'm gracious with you. He's like, but remember. So I would encourage you, keep a record of something, of, of some of some sort. I don't know, you guys don't like calling it a diary because it seems, I don't know. A journal is what I like to call it. But writing down what God has done in your life because it's awesome, you can go back and read it. And it grows our faith. It deepens our faith. Helps us remember what he's done. Because he is faithful and able. I believe it. So I will confidently put my hope in him because this is the thing. You will never find a promise in this book that God will not keep. Not one promise God has made that He won't keep. Either He already has kept it or He will keep it. And that is what we hold tightly to. So we draw near. We draw near to him in faith, thanking God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. And we hold tightly to the truth that he is faithful and he will do what he says. His doing or his speaking is his doing. If he says it, he will do it. So with those two in mind, drawing near in faith, holding tightly to the truth, we move forward to the third and uh, the visible outward expression of the first two. He says in 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Consider how to stir up one another towards love and to good works. That word consider I love that. Think about it. Spend time coming up with plans, ideas of how to encourage one another towards love and good works in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that is what you were created for. That is what you were created for. To love and do good. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. You are God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. And you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance for you. So we are created to love and to do good for the sake of Jesus in this world. So when I look at my life, when you look at your life, is that what you see? Is that what we see? I know we like to compare ourselves with other people, but we need to compare ourselves with the word. It's the true measure. It is the true mirror and reflection. But where does he go with this thought? I find this intriguing. Where does he go? He goes from the idea of, okay, what are you created for? Is to love and to do good works in this world in the name of Jesus Christ. And he goes into this. Not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more until they see the day coming near. You may, have been, you may have heard that verse in the last few months. Don't stop meeting together. Don't forsake the fellowship of the believers. Don't neglect the meeting of the saints in whatever worded, wordage you've, you've heard that. So especially because of what we've gone through in this time, I want to take a closer look at this just very briefly. Because did did meeting virtually, not meeting here in person, did that forsake the gathering of the believers? Have we neglected to meet as saints? That word, neglect, forsake, abandon, desert, or leave behind, have nothing to do with. You know, that's the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he was quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see Paul use it when he's talking about one of the people that used to be with him. His name's Demas. And he says, Demas has forsaken me now. He's gone after the things of this world. So what does this show us? Well, it shows us that it seems that there's a hint in this word that It's trading one thing for another. When you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, when he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Was it that God was completely absent there? No. It was what Jesus knew the whole time with the Father was love and support and encouragement. And now in this moment, it wasn't that. It was the wrath of God for our sin. And Demas, the one that deserted Paul, he was following Jesus. He was following the way. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to go after the ways of the world. And he forsook, forsaketh, I don't know, (laughs) forsaked, anyways, he turned and went a different direction. So I would say that the forsaking the gathering or deserting or abandoning the meeting together shows a willful choice to no longer be a part of it. It comes with a willful choice So when we stopped meeting in person together, was it that we wanted to stop meeting together? No, we still wanted to be together. Did we look for different ways to meet together as a church? Yes, we did for the time. And now we're able to be back together again. So I would say we did not forsake the gathering of believers. But now, if you have removed yourself from a church community, then there would be maybe some other questions we need to ask. Why? Is it because there's no church community, there's no body of Christ wherever you are in the area that you're in? That's a different situation. And maybe you're to start one, plant a church where you are. Now, is it that you just don't like any of the churches in the area that you're in? Then that is a different um, situation as well. Um, And I would say maybe this verse is something that you need to look into. And take seriously. Because we need each other. It might come as a a surprise to you, but the reason we meet together is not so that you can get what you want. That's not why we meet. That's called selfishness. The reason we gather is to love and encourage and spur one another on to do good in this world. That's what he's saying here. And does that not make sense? Because that's how God has built the body of Christ. We talk about it as the body of Christ, right? There's, there's hands, there's feet, there's eyes, there's ears, there's mouths, there's the pancreas. Um, every part of has to do its part for the betterment of the whole body. We're doing it for the betterment of the whole body, not just ourselves. Every gift, every spiritual gift that is given is said to be used for the building up of the body. Your gifts weren't given for you. They were given so you could use them to serve others. And you can't love others if you are not around people. If you're not in a community of believers, how can you love? I mean, this is probably the biggest reason I'm not a hermit. Because I love to be by myself. I could spend days by myself in the woods. Like, I'm totally cool with that. I don't need to see another person. But when God says, love your neighbor... I gotta be around people. When God says, love your enemy, that means there's people around you. We need to come together to love. Because that is what Jesus did. He loved those around him. Did he go off and have his solitude alone time? Yes, he did, constantly, all the time, to be with him and God, but he always came back. Now, it might look different in your context gathering together. It might be a small group. It might be a Bible study. It might be a house church. I don't know what it is. For us, we can gather here. Those of you who are online, you are with us as well. But there is someone who needs love from you. There is someone who needs encouragement from you. You might think that you got nothing to offer but that is a lie from the enemy. Every single believer has something to offer. If you believe in Jesus Christ as God's son, that he died and rose from the grave for your sins, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you don't tell me that's not a big deal. That is a huge deal the creator God, the all-powerful, sustainer. He's infinite. He has put his spirit in you to help others. We got no excuses. Every single believer in Jesus Christ has something to offer, and we need you. We need you to be the hands of And the feet. And all the other parts as well. And I love what he says in the last of this verse, the last half of 25. Encouraging one another all the more. More and more. This should be increasing in us, this love, and spurring one another on to do good. This should be growing at a Trajectory that is upwards, constantly, more and more. Because meeting together is about growing in love for one another. And I mean, our culture... We have a difficult time with love because it is used so much and so often. And what I'm talking about when I say love is the love that Christ demonstrated for us, which is self-sacrificial love, which is giving up of oneself for someone else. This is what Jesus says. He says, no greater love has anyone than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus has called you friends. And he laid down his life for you as an example of what we should be doing for others. He says this in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his his disciples, he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a Christian, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Did you catch that? Deny yourself. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about others. And we must pick up our cross. Now think about that for a moment. Did Jesus carry the cross for himself? No. Jesus didn't need to carry the cross for himself. He was perfect. Jesus carried Your cross. Jesus carried my cross. And so when he says now that we need to pick up our cross, do we need to pick up our cross for our own sin? No, Jesus has paid for our sin. It's done. So what is this carrying of the cross then? It's by denying ourselves and thinking of others. This is carrying the burdens of others. Helping others. That is what we are supposed to do. Putting others' interests above our own. And this is convicting for me. Because how many times have I got all riled up because something infringes on my rights? Or it's taking away my freedoms. Or I don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable. This hits pretty close to home. There's a verse that the Spirit brought to my mind as I was preparing for this. And it's when Paul was talking about there was an issue going on because there was meat that was sacrificed in a temple. They would take meat, they'd take it to a temple of a fake wooden brass, whatever, non-existent God, and they would sacrifice it to this God, and then they would take it to the market and sell it for cheap. And so some Christians were buying it, because anyways, uh, cheap meat, who doesn't want to have it? But there was an issue. It's like, well, it was offered to this God, da, 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 and people were, people were in turmoil about it. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, I know I can eat the meat. He's like, it's nothing. It's a piece of water, a piece of metal. He's like, but if other people are having an issue with it, he's like, I will never eat meat again if it's for, to help my brothers and sisters. Paul was willing to give up his freedoms, his rights to help others for the benefit of someone else other than himself. In this time of COVID, we've been asked to do some things that some of us don't like that some of us disagree with, find uncomfortable, awkward. Are they telling us to sin? No. They're asking us to put on a mask, keep some space between people for their safety. Now, maybe you disagree. Maybe you disagree with the government. Maybe you disagree with what we have asked as a church. You might think, well, they're wrong. It's just a big cover-up. Well, can you submit to someone even if they're wrong? That's the question, isn't it? That's not easy. Can you submit to someone even if they're dead wrong? Jesus did the authorities that arrested him and beat him and crucified him were dead wrong but he submitted for me and for you because of his love so what is the real issue here then for us what is the issue in my own heart why do I fight against this and who am I really rebelling against Romans 13:1 says let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist those who are in authority have been put there by God Jesus even said this when he was before Pilate Pilate was telling him, he's like, Jesus, you know, I have the authority to kill you or to save you, right? Like, you should, like, really be sucking up to me right now. And Jesus' response is to him, you only have the authority you have in your life because my Father gave it to you. Philippians 2. This is what it says about Jesus and what it says about what we should be doing. Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, you, talking to believers, we should have the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus Christ had. Who, being in very nature God, he's God, right? He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. It goes on to say that he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Yes, it takes humility to submit. And Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. You know what he says? He, can't, he said he became obedient to the point of death. He became obedient to the point of death. And he, and he throws in at the end, even death on a cross. It wasn't some glorious death. No. It was the death of a criminal torture. Shameful. Shameful. See, we are called to love one another. We are called to be peacemakers in this world. And if it requires that I give up some of my freedoms and my rights to make peace or to keep peace, then that is what we must do. Because that's what Jesus did. So are we going to be known by love and self-sacrifice like our leader? Or are we going to be known by complaining and arguing and rebelling and selfishness, which describes me way too often? You see, if I'm having trouble loving others, if I'm having trouble putting other people first, you know often what happened is I forgot step one and two. I haven't drawn near to God and I haven't held tightly to the promises that he's made that's how this writer explains this we draw near we hold tight to the promises of Jesus Christ and out of those things we can love because in and of ourselves we can't we need Jesus flowing through us to show love and to do good in this world So that's why we need to draw near. That's why we need to be holding, clinging tightly to his promises of what he said. He will do who he is. And we're to grow in this more and more and more because he ends this verse by saying, as you see the day drawing near, because this is the reality, friends, is that Jesus is coming back. And blessed are those who are found doing His work when He returns. So this is our, this is our mandate. This is the way of our master. It's to love, put others above ourselves, sacrifice our own freedoms and rights for others. But we need to be leaning heavily into God in order to do that. Do you notice something? I love this. I love this about the Bible. I love how it just fits so perfectly together. We need to draw near in faith. We need to hold fast in hope. And we need to consider how to love. Faith, hope, and love. And Paul sums that up beautifully in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Oh, I pray that we would grow in love let's pray father god we thank you for your word how it is the true measure and it reveals the true state of our sinful hearts we recognize that we need you we need you every moment every day god i pray as your church your body, that we would follow after you, giving up of ourselves for others. God, we uh, ask that you would grow this in our midst more and more, in increasing measure, God, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to thank you so much for... Joining us this morning. And if you want to pray with someone, we have some places in the front here that you can come down and pray with someone. You want to just take some time to maybe even just draw near now. Um, Or maybe later today, you need to go out and take a walk and draw near to God. Please do that. Um, I want to end by um, saying a verse that I've said a few times. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly more than all we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless.